You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now step into the arena of ideas with your host, Dr. Brian Shelton. Coming to you from the Appalachian and Rocky Mountains, not only of northwestern North Carolina, but of also, what would it be, northwestern Montana? Is that right? Northwestern Montana? Correct. <laughs> this is the Bellator Christie Podcast, where we take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. And we're so thankful that you've joined us tonight. We have a very exciting new series starting for the next six weeks. Uh, we have our winter Bible study series, and I don't know about you, but I am—I have been excited about this and can't wait to get started. So with us on our winter Bible study is the one and only, often imitated but never duplicated, cowboy apologist, Curtis Evelo. There it is. <laughs> yep. I'm wearing a Carhartt sweatshirt today because we didn't leave the the office door open uh to let some warm air come in because uh, right now i'm i'm burning uh the the wood heat um in the wood stove and uh it doesn't go through the vents and it's rather cold outside and the <laughs> the office <laughs> is uh is cold itself right now so yeah you, right. you got your hat on i have to wear my new Fancy hat makes me look like a taxi cab driver. There we go. We'll be all set. <laughs> yeah. It's our ranch, ranch hat, and then I'm wearing my my sweatshirt. So yeah, we're good to go. <laughs> well, it is. It is certainly cold here in North Carolina. They're calling for a chance of snow this weekend and you know thing about north carolina is it's half and half you have some people who love the snow want more and then you have other people it's like can we just get to spring already you know we're already ready for spring you yeah know? i'm 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 that guy <laughs> we ready for spring yet i'm i'm, I'm <laughs> the older you know, uh, uh sounds I was just gonna say, it sounds like the weather uh, weather guy. I listened to um, Don Day Day Weather. Um, he's got um, he, agricultural forecast, and he uh, he was saying that uh, we better we better prepare. Um, a good portion of the United States is gonna get hit with some cold. The winter we've been having so far, it's not gonna return. It's long gone. So. Are they calling for a pol- from now. polar vortex? I, I had heard something about in January there's a chance that we could be hit with a polar vortex. Potential. And I remember that. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I remember when we were living in Yakinville, North Carolina, back in 2000. Um, when was that? 2017, I think it was. Um we got hit with a polar vortex that year, and I and I believe and here in North Carolina, I know you know you guys have some from deep sub cold temperatures going on there, but I think it got down to like minus ten that year or something like that. It was it was ridiculous for this Ooh, for this for you guys. That's that's low. Yeah, I mean it was that's it was crazy. Low. You guys, so how, just 
not to be off topic, but this is kind of funny. Um, how low do you guys bury your water lines? That's a good question. I'm thinking six feet or so, maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, we got to go that same distance then. Yeah, I'm, so we're, we're I'm, five to six feet. Yeah, I may be wrong, but I'm thinking it was. I'm thinking it's about that deep because whenever they built our house, I'm pr- yeah. I'm pretty sure they went down about six feet, if I'm not mistaken. But I'm, I may be off a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's about where we were at. I just know that, uh, like guys in Oklahoma and Texas and stuff like that, they they run the water lines up to the attics, up through the tops of the house and stuff, and I'm. I'm <laughs> Why would you do that? Let's <laughs> go freeze. <laughs> so, uh, I guess when it doesn't freeze, you don't have to worry about it, you know. So, well, we've got a great Bible study on tap for you for the next six weeks. We're looking at the Book of Galatians, and uh, so we want to just start this thing off. We've got uh, a few, and I'll post the outline on um, our. Uh, on the website, whenever we release the the podcast, uh, th- you know, then give you the link there too the, on the website. Uh, but we'll we'll give we're going to look at uh, three major things going on. We're going to talk talk about the affirmations of Paul in Galatians chapter one, and we want to look at this kind of looking at the Augustine interpretive style, where we look at the literal points of the scripture. But then we also want to go back and look at you know perhaps some spiritual things going on, some allegorical things taking place as we go through some of this you know as well. So um, let's jump right in this. I think you know before we look into the book itself, I think we need to have some background information uh, pertaining to the book of Galatians. Now let me also say this: Galatians is a very important book in the realm of apologetics because especially chapter one. Paul is going to talk about a trip he took to Jerusalem uh, back in AD 35, uh, just a few years after, really, I, I hold to the year 33 being the, the date of uh, Jesus' uh, crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection. I think April 3rd, 33 AD, Friday, April 3rd, 33 AD is likely the date that Jesus was crucified, making April Sunday, April 5th, the likely candidate for the first resurrection Sunday. And so this likely it happened in 35 AD, only just a few years after, a couple years after uh, these events took place. So the author of this book is identified in the very first verse. I'm sharing my screen. You can see the scripture as we go through it. Paul the Apostle, uh, he had previously persecuted the church and he likely converted to Christ uh, in AD 35, after seeing the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, now it was during this time he was on a campaign to persecute Christians, and um, but he was he later became a Christian after seeing Jesus, and what a transformation that was! Uh, he was later imprisoned in Rome in AD 67 by Emperor Nero, and was likely executed by beheading in the same year. Uh, Paul wrote more books in the New Testament than any other person, and for that reason, he is called the Apostle to the Gentiles. Now, the date, that's a little bit more of a sticky topic. Uh, There are several viewpoints as to when the book of Galatians 
uh, could be could have been written. I think Curtis, I think you had read in a commentary that uh, someone had the date of thirty of uh, fifty three. I think in in the fifties, um, somewhere along in that area. Uh, there's some who say later than that. Um, this has been talked. This has been called by Longenecker in his uh, commentary on Galatians one of the most knotty problems in Pauline studies <laughs> because it's, it's hard to pinpoint, and a lot of times it has to do with where you put the um, the the uh, the recipients or who who the recipients are. Uh, Paul notes that the Galatians had quickly deserted the orthodox teachings of Christ in Galatians one sixteen, as we'll see, and spoke of a bodily ailment in four thirteen, and for that reason. Um, uh, Timothy George, in his commentary on Galatians, believes that it's likely that Galatians was written around the year A.D. 48, around the same time that the Council of Jerusalem took place. And really that would make sense, in my opinion, because as we go through this uh, passage of Scripture, as we, as we talk through Galatians, we're going to see there's a great deal of focus. Even chapter 1, there's a great deal of focus on um, authentic Christianity uh, opposed to what many would call Judaizers who would say you had to keep the law. Uh, so that's a, that's a real thing. And so in the Council of Jerusalem in 4048, that was the big topic of debate. You know, With Gentiles being brought into the church, should they be required to be circumcised? Should they be required to keep the festivals and things of that nature? Should they be required to do all the things that would make a, a good Jew? And many people, many of the Judaizers said, yes, they need to follow the law to the, you know, to the very dot of the I and cross of the T. But Paul and many others says, it's by grace we're safe through faith. And so they, they made it open for everybody. And so the recipients is either written to North Galatia or South Galatia, but it seems like that Paul would probably have written to the churches of South Galatia, most likely, since he and Paul—I mean, excuse, excuse me—since he and Barnabas uh, founded those churches during the first missionary journey. But there's even some date, debate on that as well uh, about whether it was North Galatia or South Galatia. And so, if we accept the early dating of the book, then it's likely that Paul is writing against the Judaizers of that time, and he's writing against people who were the legalists of that day and age. Now we're now listen, not all Jews were legalistic. Not all Pharisees were legalistic. Um, that's an ad hominem if we say all of them are. Um, but there were some who were. And as we go through this book, looking at the more spiritual tone of the book of Galatians, consider the importance of God's grace in contrast to the legalism that we often place upon Christianity. And so I think that is a very important uh, point that we think about as we go through uh, this study. So um, considering that the earliest Christians were Jewish and faithful to the law of God, it's of no surprise that the apostles received some pushback when they accepted Gentiles without reserve. And so... Um, that's kind of what we're looking at. That's kind of what was going on in the day and time. Curtis, do you have any comments that you'd like to bring uh, or anything you'd like to share? Well, one thing I'd like to say 
is is in the letters if if just kind of give a little bit of an overview i'm going to give an overview kind of like why we see in the gospels and in these letters um why we see the very beginning of the of the letters actually start out and address as like for example he starts out saying paul an apostle not for men nor through men. Um, it, why do we see it that way? Why we have uh, the, the the letters start out like that is because they were in scrolls. They were they were read, uh, and so if you it wouldn't be like a letter that you would write out today, where you'd open the letter and then you'd be able to look down at the bottom or look at the, the and see what uh, um, and see who wrote it. Right? It wouldn't be just addressed. It wouldn't be addressed to my Galatians, to my friends in Galatia, or anything like that, it would be, I'm, this is this is who it came from, and this is what we're going to be discussing. And so, uh, I just, man, Paul doesn't pull any punches. Um, in the first five verses, he, uh, first five verses, he gives a whole bunch of theological uh, <laughs> um, hits, yeah, big time, and then he just jumps right in with verse 6, get into business. And this is one of those books, I think, um, that he takes a different tone to, and um, it, it's, it, it just appears um, that he, he's getting a little bit, uh, a little bit rough, I guess, right off the bat. And it's important to note that he did so out of love because... You know, from the very get go, I mean, it's it's important that people know that God loves them, and 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 it's important to know that that the salvation offered by Christ is for everyone. And so, when you have, well, Paul even calls out Peter. We're going to see that in the very first chapter uh, that he calls out Peter for for acting. Well, Grandma used to have a word for it: uppity. <laughs> she got it uppity when someone acted like they were better than other people. Well, Peter Peter acted that way. You know, he, he didn't <laughs> he uh, he acted well and good around his Jew. You know, he acted well and good around his Gentile friends as long as the, Gen- the Jewish friends weren't around. But when his Jew- Gentile Jewish friends came around, he just acted like he didn't know the Gentiles any longer. So, um, but what we're going to see here is Paul is going to affirm certain things. And we're going to see in verses 1 through 5, we see the affirmation of Paul's greeting. In verses 6 through 10, we see the affirmation of Paul's grief, Paul's grieving over certain things going on in the church of Galatia. And by the way, when we talk about the church of Galatia, we're talking about the churches of Galatia, as we even see in in verse 2. This is talking about the churches in this region. And then in verses uh, verse 1 and verses 11 through 24, through the remainder of the chapter, we see the affirmation of Paul's call. So Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. He's reaching out to a Gentile audience. And so there are some who are Judaizers, the legalists of the day, who are, who are calling into question whether or not Paul even should be an apostle because he's reaching out to these undesirables of the day. And folks, there are just so many spiritual applications that we can draw from this passage of Scripture. It's, it's really uncanny. Um, Curtis, are you still with us? There he is. Oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> so let's yep. let's jump Just in. Just had to sneeze. Oh, okay. <laughs> <It's not> very... 
gotcha. So let's jump in first to uh, the affirmation of Paul's greeting. And so he's greeting these individuals. And so, uh, Curtis, would you read verses 1 and 2 for us? There we go. Verses 1 and 2. Okay, uh, verses one and two. Um, I'm leading. I'm going to read out of the New King James just because the, the, this is just how I did. You know, I I worked through uh, New King James forever, and I just I like the flow of it. Sure. So I'm just going to read that real quick. And just for everybody, uh, so, just so you know, Paul, we have we have pulled up the uh, the CSB for you to follow along, and th- that's what I'll be using. So okay. follow follow along in any translation yep. you prefer. Okay. And it's pretty close. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Verse 2. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Okay, let's stop right there. So first of all, we see the affirmation of Paul's greeting found in the greeting of the saints in Galatia. And so he does this, he's referencing this to the churches of Galatia, indicating this letter was to be read. The first letters, whenever before they were were distributed as books uh, to the readership, uh, to to literate individuals who could read, uh, they first of all started as these letters that were read to the congregations. And so imagine, you know, we're we're taking six weeks to break this up. This whole thing would have been read in in one sitting. So he's addressing all the, the saints in Galatia. And we notice that he says, and we're going to come back to this a little later on, but it's important to point this out. Notice that his apostleship, being an ambassador for Christ, it did not come from men or by man, but it came through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, let's take a look at a spiritual application to this. It's important we understand. We live our lives. No one wants to be disliked. But so many times and in so many churches with so many ministries, it seems like we place more focus on what people think of us uh, or or um, what other people, how other people view us. But the question we have to ask ourselves is not what other people want us to do. We have to ask, what is God calling me to do? What is our What is the passion that God has instilled in your life. And for Paul, we see that his calling, not only not from man, but from Jesus and God the Father, was to preach the gospel to the world. And and he brought the gospel to quite a few people in his day and time. And so th- then we see he he's greets them from Christ in glory, in verses 3 through 5. And so, Curtis, would you mind reading that for us? Sure. Um, It says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God God and our Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Powerful passage of scripture yeah so we see that his yeah. greeting is coming um he's, he's he's greeting them from from christ in glory 
And we see two things. Christ died to save us in verses 3 and 4. And then we also see that Christ desires to sanctify us in verses 4 and 5. So let's take a look first. He says, grace to you and peace. Grace, what does that mean? It's the word charis. It means God's gift to us, giving us something that is not merited. It's something that's not deserved. So we can't work our way to salvation. (laughs) That's not scriptural. It's God's grace. It's God's gift given to us. Uh, We also see that he prays for peace, which is the traditional Hebrew greeting, shalom, meaning God's peace be upon you. Okay, And so we see that in verses 4 and 5. He also says to him, be glory forever and ever. The focus is again placed upon Christ. He also says in verse 4, who gave himself for our sins, Jesus came to give himself as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And to do what? To rescue us from this present age according to the will of God the Father. This looks ahead to being freed from slavery to the elements of the world through Christ and previews the new creation as we see in in chapter 6, verse 15. That is, this, as we've mentioned before on the podcast, this past, present, future aspect of salvation we have been saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved in glory. And so we see that he, he says, To him be the glory forever and ever, amen. God's glory through Christ is forever. God, God's work is to save us. God's work is to sanctify us. And so he is directing the Galatians from the outset back to the fundamental doctrines that he had been preaching from the beginning of his of his uh, Christian career, it is Christian ministry. Yeah, so right there in the first five verses, he lays down what potentially is drawing them into a different uh, into a different gospel. He lays down the the original statements there, and I think we we uh, we on the, when we were talking about. The stages of of uh, being saved. It was uh, justified, uh, sanctified, and then glorified. Correct. Yes, absolutely. Uh, justified is is what happens the moment we're saved. We profess uh, Christ as our Savior, confess our sins, profess Him as our Savior. Uh, Holy Spirit enters into our life. We'll go through this process of being sanctified. So justification, we're justified before God the Father through Jesus Christ. We're being sanctified. That means we're being made in the image of Christ. Lifelong process that ultimately is perfected when we reach heaven. And then and then lastly, we're glorified. In the, and that's whenever we enter into heaven. Our salvation uh, becomes from, goes from hope to sight. Uh, it goes from anticipation to reality, or as Thomas Aquinas would say, from potency to actuality, something that that can be but hasn't happened yet to something that is in reality. Now, we know that, that we're already living by God's grace in actuality, but that glorification, we go from that hope to reality at that moment in time. And so... Um, you know, one other thing here, I think I think that's important to bring out in verse five, is that there are these competing views about salvation. You know, there's there's this view that you can work for your salvation. 
But that's just not what Paul teaches in this passage of Scripture. Because notice in verse 4 again, Christ gave himself for our sins for the whole intent and purpose to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father. Now here again, there's another theological aspect we could even mention, and that's the players in our salvation. Notice it was God's will, the will of God the Father, planned before the four, before the, the creation of the world that we would have a plan to be saved. It was brought forth by Jesus. Now, he doesn't mention it here, but he mentions it in other uh, texts that it's applied and brought through the Holy Spirit who is the seal of our redemption. So you have Father, Son, Holy Spirit very much involved in, in uh, our salvation. It's amazing stuff. <laughs> so he goes from the affirmation of, of Paul's greeting to the affirmation of Paul's grief. So as you said, Curtis, he gets down to business. And so notice he, he, he has this notice the transition from verse 5 to 6. He's talking about the glory of God, how God has richly blessed them, how they've been rescued from the evil age, present evil age, according to the will of God the Father. But then look at verse 6. What does he say? I'm amazed that you're so quickly turning away from him. <laughs> so, so Paul is grieved. And so there, he's grieved by two things, the Galatians' consistency. And, and there's another thing. We'll talk about the apostles' curse here in just a few moments. But let's take a look at verses 6 and 7. Would you read that for us, Curtis? Yeah, it says, it says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you. <laughs> I wanted to just say, look at the active, the active wording he's using. You are so quickly turning away. Hmm. So they're still actively doing so from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Powerful stuff, I tell you here. So he's, he's first of all grieving the Galatians' consistency, or rather we should say that they're being very inconsistent. So first of all, he notices and he's grieved because he's laid forth this foundation for them. He, he discussed the, found, yeah. the fundamentals of the Christian faith in verses 1 through 5, especially verses 3 through 4, excuse me, 3 through 5. But he notices that they're so quickly turning away from this fundamental gospel message to follow along those who are leading them astray. He says that you're so quickly turning away from him so the one who gave you his grace, God, who called you by the grace of Christ, you're turning away from that, Paul says, and going to a different gospel. You're going for a very works-based legalistic gospel that really has no warrant with the, with the message of Christ. And, and notice he says you're turning to a different gospel. And that's something that grieves my heart today to even think about. Do we have places that are turning to a different gospel these days? Oh, 
many, many places. Many, many. Yeah. Um, yeah, we do. <laughs> In short. And, and I would have to agree with you. I think I think we do. Um, you know, looking back at this work-based salvation, you know, it, it really tugs at my heart because I often think that, I often look at the emphasis that's being placed on how many people we have in church, and we look that as look at that as a view of success or, or failure. But is that really what determines whether a church is successful or not? I don't know that it is, because you know most most of my time in church have been has been in smaller churches, and that's not to say anything against larger churches. Uh, God bless the churches that are doing well and, and can accommodate and minister to hundreds, and, if not thousands of people. Sure. But we have to ask ourselves, are we focused more on those extrinsic things, the, the niceties, or are we focused in on truly the grace of God given to us by a crucified Savior who defeated death, hell, and the grave and who gives us of His grace freely not anything that we deserved but simply just flows from his love and kindness it's, it's something we have to ask ourselves about um and he goes on to say that there's not really another gospel but there are those who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of christ here again there are those who are trying to make Christianity a work-based salvation. They're trying to make it more about our actions, what we can do, instead of focusing on the grace of God. Wasn't well, that just like just like human nature, though, Brian, to um, systematize something and try to come up with a pathway or a um, a, a assuredness of, okay, if I do this, this, and this, that I'm, I'm guaranteed this salvation. Um, when God only requires that we, that we turn and recognize the grace of Christ. I, I think so. And that kind of makes me wonder, you know, because a lot of times, you know, I just look at my own life. <laughs> Let me give you, for instance, I went with a fellow chaplain to a uh, nursing home today and in this nursing home they had this this elevator that uh it looked like you're going in a closet and it had like this cage and then and it you know it went up a level and wonderful nursing home wonderful facility but i'm gonna tell you what i was second guessing that uh going up in that elevator i didn't know what in the world <laughs> i was definitely second guessing myself going up in this thing and uh but anyhow you know as people we like to have control of certain things, and I think if we look at the potential of working our way to salvation, it gives us a sense of self-worth thinking that we've done something, or it gives us control over the matter. But the, accepting the grace of God in one's life is a little different and a little more difficult because it means that we have to trust ourselves to God. And that's difficult. We, we, we can't rely on what we're doing. We have to rely on what someone else has done, is doing, and will do, that one being God. 
it makes you really puts it in perspective I think Paul does yeah it does it does for sure it brings the humanness I, I think the book of Galatians right from the start brings the humanness of how quickly um, our our hearts can turn or our minds can turn to something some sort of systematic way or turn away from Christ because of a system or because of doing these certain things well I'm guaranteed because I've got this and the, and this done yeah I think you're right and I think that's the appeal of, of so many different belief systems that do place the emphasis on what a person does that it gives us that that gives people that sense of you know focus on you know, not you don't have to trust as much. I guess is what I'm trying to say. You can look at your own right. works instead of what God's doing. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've done this. I've done this system. I've done this uh, pathway. I've done this uh, right prayer. I've done uh, this many times prayed today. I've done. Uh, I've talked to this many people. I've delivered this many meals or what have you and those are the those are the merits that we try to um find a way into heaven find a way into god um that's that's where that's why uh it's just it's part of human nature i feel i think you're absolutely right i really do but then he moves from the lack of consistency with the galatians talk about the curse that comes by preaching any other gospel than the gospel of Jesus. So let's take a look at verses 8 through 10, and we'll turn this back to you here, Curtis. <laughs> but even, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now again say, oops, does that say? As as we have said before, I now say again: if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. For I am now trying. I am now trying to persuade people. For am I now trying to persuade people or God, or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Yeah, yeah. look at that. And here's another way on this note here in verse 10. For if I am now trying to persuade people, or if I am now trying to win the approval of people, this, this hits at the center of, of the human psyche. Are we striving to please God, or are we striving to please mankind humanity and you know there again no one wants to be disliked um no one wants to be the outcast we all want we all like to be liked we all need to be needed and but at the end of the day the question is where is the main focus of our identity where is the main focus of of our effort. And so going back to verse 8, let's look at this systematically. Paul includes himself in this. He says, if we, who is we? 
We includes Paul and, and the individuals associated with the writing of this letter, the distribution of this letter, his colleagues, his cohorts. If we or an angel from heaven, even if an angel comes from heaven and they preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, anathema be on him, a, a curse be on him. And you can see here on, on the screen, that is anathema, Greek anathema. Let him be condemned. Let him be accursed. Um, so, and, and what gospel is he talking about? Well, he just gave you the gospel in a nutshell in verses 3 through 5 already. If someone is teaching something different than that, then that is not the, the gospel that saves. That is something else. It's a man-made invention, not a, not a divine revelation that came from God. Because remember, Paul, Paul himself was against Christianity until he had a, a personal experience from Christ which set him on a completely different trajectory. He went on a 180-degree different path than what he had been on. So if anyone preaches a gospel different than this gospel which came from Christ, a curse, anathema be on him. And he goes on to say, as we have said before, and I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, anyone means anyone. That may mean your brother, that may mean your sister, that may mean your parent, that may mean even your sweet little grandmother. <laughs> that may mean a pastor, that may mean a deacon, an elder, or anyone else, a president, no matter what the case may be. You can enter anything in there. If anyone preaches a gospel contrary to what has been proclaimed by Christ, the revelation of God given, a curse be on him, is what Paul says. And again, in verse 10, he's he, he's got the target dead on dead on here. He's got the Galatians in the pinpoint of that, the crosshairs of that target. And he says, right. who are you trying to please? And boy, I tell you what, I, I feel convicted even by this myself. Uh, who do we as individuals try to please? Are we focused in on pleasing God? Or are we trying to please people? Um, very hard-hitting passage of scripture yeah right there's a right there's right there's the human struggle you know we want to please god we we, we really want to but you know <laughs> the fear of man is within us at all times you're right you're absolutely the one right. thing i do notice one thing i do notice there brian is is uh, Paul must have been a Baptist preacher because he, is, <laughs> you know, they always say that re re repetition is the is the best teacher, right? And so, <laughs> well, you know, I was always taught, I was always taught a, a phrase that said, uh, whenever you're bringing a message, tell them what you're going to tell them in the introduction, tell them what you're going to tell them, then tell them, and then tell them what you told them. <laughs> And come to find out, I was talking to T.J. Gentry. I was talking to T.J. Gentry on our team, and he said, Brother, that's what the military teaches us to do. And I thought about it, and you know what? Some of the teachers I had had been in the military, so maybe that all kind of comes together <laughs> in the end. 
tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you That's told them. And, and Paul did the very same thing. He, he told them what he was going to say, he said it, and then he, he went back and repeated it again. <laughs> so speaking of this, so here again, remember, there were false teachers trying to lead the Galatians astray from the gospel of Christ, the gospel that Paul presents in verses 3 through 5. Uh, there's an affirmation of Paul's grief. He's grieved that the Galatians were believing these false teachers. But then some of the false teachers even came against Paul. And isn't it just like human nature? You know, I, I'm, a, I'm of this persuasion. And, um, you know, one thing that drives me crazy in life is when someone tries to get ahead by putting someone else down. Uh, now, I, I can't say that I've been 100% successful of this in my life, but you know what? It, I've come under the conviction that if I have to throw someone under the bus to, to get a position, then I just must not need that position. Uh, it's just not worth having if, it, if that's what it takes to get something like that. But that's what some of these teachers were doing to Paul. They, they threw him under the bus, and they were saying, well, you know that Paul, he wasn't one of the original you know, 12 disciples. Paul wasn't among the 72 sent out by Jesus. He was a Johnny come lately. I mean, who in the world does he think he is coming out and bringing in all these, those, those Gentiles? How dare he bring in those Gentiles to this, to this church? Uh, they don't belong here. Have we ever heard that in church before? Have we ever heard that in life before? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and that goes back to the whole why why he started out the gospel the way he did when he when he says it, Paul, bam, an apostle, bam. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And you're right. He started off by saying, "I'm an apostle. I wasn't called by man. I was called by God." And there's a good connection there, Curtis, uh, that you made between this section and even the first the first verse. And, and that's true. He's, he defended from the get-go his calling to be an apostle. And so he affirms his calling in about three different ways. So the first of all, the first thing he does is affirm the revelation of his calling. Now, we would go back to verse 1. I'll read this verse again just as, as, a, as a reminder. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ to God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, let's, let's read verses 11 and 12, and we'll hand this off to you, Curtis. Sure. Yeah, and so in verse 11 it says, For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by men, or by me, is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from human source, and I was not taught it. But it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now this is a mic drop moment if ever there was one. So Paul knew of these Christians, but Paul was not, you know, Paul may have heard Jesus teach some, uh, but if he did, it was more about more of an exploratory type of thing, thinking who in the world is this guy? What is he teaching? So it's possible that Paul, and likely he did, heard Jesus at some point, but he didn't know the gospel message. He didn't know anything about it. The only thing he knew was these these Christians 
that people were leaving the synagogues and following these Christians. Now, the, the Christians worshipped in synagogues on Sundays, on the Lord's Day, instead of the traditional Sabbath day of Saturday. But they, but these people started following these these apostles and, and did, weren't following the rabbis of Paul's Sanhedrin. By the way, if you were in the Sanhedrin, that was a good way of making a good living. Paul was on target to be part of the Sanhedrin. And so these Christians, the, these individuals started following Jesus. And so Paul took it upon himself to drive out these Christians. He, he wanted it to be done. But he sees Jesus and he from the very get-go starts teaching a gospel that, it, that correlates and is in line with the gospel taught by the apostles. There's no other way that could happen unless he had a direct revelation from Jesus Christ himself. And that's exactly what happened. Paul communicates three things. Um, well, actually, we'll, we'll get to that here in just a few moments. But uh, Paul did not say when his direct revelation from Christ came. But we do know that he he was blinded. He was healed by a Christian uh, by the grace of God. Uh, he, he came to faith in Christ Likely he was taught by Christ. Some people believe maybe in Arabia uh, it may be that he had these additional encounters with the risen Jesus. However it happened, um, his knowledge of the gospel did not come from human origin. It came from a divine revelation. It came directly by Jesus Christ. And it correlated and co corresponded exactly with the teachings of the early church. Yeah. One thing about that uh, the, in Acts nine is that's the that's what you're referring to um, when he was converted. Um, just so people oh, yeah. are kind of aware, um, go back and read through Acts nine so you get the flow of what what happened there. Um, it was a it was a life changing encounter. That's for sure. Absolutely, and in these past in these verses, Paul says it didn't come from human logic. It didn't come from human lore. It came from the revelation of Christ, and so that's what we should that's what we should desire to to hear from God, not not focus on all these other details, all these other things. Focus in on Christ and the revelation that He gives us. Not saying that there's not value in other things. I'm not saying that, uh, but I'm saying that we need to give precedence uh, to to the revelation of God. So in verses 13 and 14, he talks about previously the revelation of his calling, and he talks about previous commitments that he has in verses uh, 13 and 14. So how about reading that for us, if you will? Yeah, so in 13 he says, For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond beyond many contempt many of my contemporaries among my people because i was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors okay so let's let's pause there for a moment so he is he is fueled by um in some to some sense fueled against by his his uh antagonism towards christianity because he says, I intensely persecuted God's church. He, he literally tried to eradicate it, destroy it. He advanced in Judaism 
beyond the scope in, to, to advance in Judaism, you had to be well-trained, you had to be a scholar. But he even went beyond many of his contemporaries and it was extremely zealous for the traditions of his ancestors. So he tells us three things. That he advanced much farther in Judaism than those who had distorted the gospel. He was more zealous for the Jewish traditions than these false teachers. And third, Paul's zeal and advancement in Judaism led him to persecute the church before his conversion, meaning that Paul was far more equipped by the, than those who were trying to destroy him. And how interesting is that? So Paul uses a great deal of logic here, a great deal of... He, I mean, he's almost like an attorney here, uh, presenting a, an excellent case, saying, okay, you want to follow these guys? They say, I don't know what I'm talking about. Here's what happened before I came to Christ. Uh, so he, he tells them that. But then he goes on to verse um, 15 through 24, and he talks about the present commission that he has. And so let's first of all take a look at uh, his commission as God chose him from the foundation of the world uh, in verses 15 and 16. Let me pull that up. Verses 15 and 16. Yeah, so 15 um, says, But when God, who from, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called, my, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me, so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. I do not. I did not immediately consult with anyone. So, here again, interesting. Uh, God set him apart from the foundation before the foundation of the world. Uh, this this rings very comparable to Isaiah forty nine one which refers to a messianic servant in Jeremiah 1.5, which refers to the prophet Jeremiah. Paul knew his calling to salvation and apostleship were not things that he worked for. They were not things that he deserved, but they came about by, by, by God's calling, which was set forth before the very foundation of the world. And he goes on in verse 16 to say that his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that he could preach him among the Gentiles. Uh, he didn't go and consult with anyone. He hit the ground running. As soon as Christ saved him, as soon as Christ taught him, he he was boots on the ground, my friend. He was off to the races wanting to tell everybody about what Christ had done for him and how they too could be saved as well. So he, he, was, he was definitely an apostle to the Gentiles. Anything that stands out to you there, Curtis? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Well, so that's, so go back to his zealous, um, his, his zealousness for, for the church or for Judaism, go back into like Acts seven, read through that area. There talks about, um, Stephen, uh, an apostle, <laughs> Stephen, um, well, not an apostle, but a disciple um, named Stephen, who actually was preaching, um, and, and they persecuted him. They, in fact, they, uh, Paul was holding the jackets of those um, who were stoning, actively stoning uh, Stephen. Um, the other thing that you'll know is not only was he given his pedigree here, but later on in Acts, 
in the book of Acts, it, you go through there and it shows, uh, Paul talks about how he was not just a Jew or not just a, a person that had advanced in Judaism, but he was also a Roman citizen. Yeah. So here he's putting the smackdown on, okay, these guys <laughs> are saying this is what they're saying about their pedigree. Yeah, I, I've got one up on them. Here, listen to this. And he goes through his pedigree. And then he goes and, and states in other writings, I was the worst. I was the chief of sinners. I was killing the church. Bring that into this, and it, and it brings a whole different impact on what we're reading here in Galatians. Absolutely. Most certainly. And so he goes on in um, verse 17 and talks about how he was commissioned to travel from Arabia to Damascus. Let's take a look at verse 17. So in 17, uh, it says, I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and then came back to Damascus. So... So here, here we see that, you know, likely he was, you know, Jesus may have met him in Arabia and may have trained him some in Arabia during that time. Uh, it, it is just very fascinating. It's very odd that Paul was, was within a few years' time, preaching the same gospel. Hadn't, he had not gone to Jerusalem. Um, he had not consulted the apostles. But he went to Arabia, then came back to Damascus, and then eventually as we're going to see in verse 18, three years, went back to Jerusalem. And he was preaching the same gospel. He was in a deserted place in Arabia, goes back to Damascus, then to Jerusalem. He's preaching the same gospel that the apostles have. There's only one way that could have happened. I mean, maybe he could have met some early Christians, perhaps. But more likely, it's the case that he had met Jesus, the very same one who met him on the road to Damascus. And so let's let's go and read verse eighteen through twenty as he's talking about uh, being commissioned from Damascus to Jerusalem. Oop, there we go. So eighteen, uh, it says, then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to get to know Cephas, <laughs> and I stayed with him fifteen days. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. There's a statement. I declared, or I declare in the sight of God, I am not lying in what I write to you. Well, in fact, later on he's going to talk about having an encounter with with Peter. And so everyone knew that he knew Peter, and everyone knew that they could go and consult with Peter, and they could consult with James, especially if this is true, that it was written around 48 AD, around the Jerusalem Council. People could have consulted James and, and Peter, and if Paul was telling a fib here, then Galatians would not have been, he, he would, it would not have been act, entered in as a, as a canonical book. Paul's apostleship would not have flourished as it had because this would be earlier in his ministry. And people would have said, no, Paul's lying. He's full of baloney. Paul, Peter uh, Peter did read the, the writings of Paul because he says in one of his own letters that some of Paul's things are hard to understand. Um, 
I think we would say the same thing today that some of Paul's things are hard to understand. But um, but he, he, he went and he met with Cephas, which is an Aramaic, the Aramaic version of Peter's name. That's very telling. Peter was known as Cephas in, in the church very early on, which even may speak to some of his date, uh, of the date as well. And I stayed with him 15 days, 15 days with Peter, and I didn't see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother, and so he consulted with them. Most likely it was here that Paul received the early creeds, hymns, and confessions uh, that he would later include in his uh, in his published writings. So when we talk about New, T- New Testament creeds, when we talk about uh, those type of things, this passage of Scripture is really a go-to uh, passage because it gives us insights as to when Paul may have received some of these early, uh, early Christian confessions and formulations. Yeah, and James, um, at that time, there's there's uh, knowledge that James was uh, the the leader or the head of the Jerusalem church at that time, and uh, for think about that penny. You know, yeah. for him to be doing that, and these two, these two, uh, incredibly knowledgeable people about the Hebrew scriptures are in discussion, and uh, and Paul leaves there, uh, saying things that he says. It's amazing. And here's something else to consider before we move on. Peter, people were accusing Paul of not having, of not being an apostle, because. He wasn't part of the original 12 or because he wasn't a part of the original 72 sent out by Jesus. But look at James, the Lord's brother. That's very intriguing that he mentions James, the Lord's brother. James was in the upper room with Jesus. Uh, James had been an integral uh, figure in the early church. Uh, James was even the pastor, one of the first pastors in the church of Jerusalem. But guess what? James was not one of the 12 disciples. He was not one of the 70s who sent out. In fact, James didn't even believe in Jesus, that, that Jesus was the, was the Messiah until after Jesus had resurrected from the dead. But people virtually... Well, probably not. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I should be from Missouri, the show me state. I mean, I'd like to think... I mean, you know, Peter, of course, did uh, b- before the resurrection. And there were other apostles that did. But um, I don't know. And that's a good question. You know, would we have believed that Jesus was the Messiah before the resurrection? Well, just think about that. I mean, if if, if your little brother or your little older brother, uh, you know, was was doing things and and was starting to say, I mean, think about what every time Jesus was preaching or or teaching, and they said your your brother and your your brother and your mother are outside. Yeah. <laughs> he says, "Who are they?" <laughs> Jesus had a sense uh, of humor. Just think folks. about the, yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, you just think about that. Would you believe that your your older brother was the Messiah? <laughs> I mean, give me a break. I've grew up with this guy, you know. And 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 really, yeah. think about it. There too, the people of his own hometown in Nazareth, yeah, they didn't accept him because they had known him. 
you know, Jesus was a moral and upright man, no doubt about it, but to say that he was the Messiah, I mean, they had a hard time with that. And Jesus says that no prophet is accepted in his hometown. So, you know, there's something to that as well. Um, but it is interesting. You know, it didn't even dawn on me until we read that passage of Scripture that James wasn't one of the twelve, but yet he was considered an apostle. Yep. And just like a, just with the precision of a surgeon, Paul was saying, so if you accept James yeah. as an apostle, then why don't you accept me as an apostle, especially with those who are trying to discredit my, my ministry? Yeah, yeah. And you think about how fortified James was. Once once Jesus rose from the dead and he, just, he was, James witnessed that, James knew that, all of the scripture, all of the Hebrew uh, writings, all of those things come to life, and how much more fortified would you be at that point when you when you it was confirmed that that Jesus is the Messiah, that mm. Lord was there. That is just full to me. Powerful. Well, let's go ahead and conclude because he talks about his his commission to travel from Jerusalem to Syria and Cilicia. Uh, so let's uh, let's read verses 21 through the end of the chapter, and this will conclude uh, the Galatians chapter 1. Sure. So it says afterward, so that's a connecting connecting word. Um, afterward, after he got done with all of that, he says, Afterward, I went to the region regions of Syria and Cilicia. I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches. That, they are, that are in Christ. They simply kept hearing, He who merely persecuted us now preaches the faith He once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Powerful. So, yeah, so he, he goes up to the regions of Syria. This is where Antioch was, Cilicia, um, and, and many other areas. Um, Syria and Cilicia, he talks about that. So anyhow, he's he's talking about all these different areas uh, that he's gone. And uh, Cilicia would be, I was trying to see where that was. It looks like it might be, if I'm looking at this right, around Turkey maybe. Um, it looks like it's on the, it's on the north east side, northeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea. If if I'm looking at this right, of course this is this is kind of a small map uh, that I'm looking at here. So, but um, so yeah, so yeah. so it goes to Syria, Cilicia, uh, and and he even mentioned he he remained unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ. Uh, they they heard about him. Uh, that he was one who formerly persecuted, but now preaches a faith, and uh, so again he's defending himself. You know, there, there were two branches—well, not branches, but there were Jewish-speaking Christians, and there were there were uh, Greek-speaking Christians. And Paul's main area of ministry was around the Grecians, and so many Judean churches—you um, know—they had heard about Paul. But they didn't really know much about him. And so, you know, whenever the Gentiles again were, that's, that's really front and center, uh, the discussion, they were, they were coming into the church, they were being saved by the grace of God. And so they were asking, you know, who is this guy <laughs> doing this? 
And so he's defending himself uh, that he was. He fully admits that he had persecuted the church, uh, but but now he is he is preaching the same gospel that had been preached from the beginning, and and the people who were turned to Christ glorified God because of me. The Judean churches that are in Christ who learned about Paul and learned about what was going on through him, they glorified God because of his ministry, and so there are a lot of things that we could spiritually in. Um, speak on in this chapter and really just really stop and contemplate and I'm not going to go through and mention a lot of them but I, I would I would challenge you to reflect on on this passage of scripture and think about you know the things that were going on in in Galatia at this time there were certain people that um, the legalists did not want to allow in church there were certain individuals that the legalists thought were beyond the scope of saving. And Paul welcomed them in because he realized the grace of God is superior to the traditions of man. And think about that. The grace of God is superior to the traditions of man. And if you think about this, Paul was one who frightened the Christians early on. But now he was one proclaiming the very same faith that they did. So I would also say this, don't give up praying for that loved one because you never know how God yeah. could get a hold of them and change their lives. Yeah, yeah exactly. Anything that stands yeah. out to you there, Curtis? You know, I just, all I can say is, you know, the Judean churches, when he talks about that, he said, they simply kept hearing. So, so he was, you know, you hear um, in other Gospels or in the book of Acts, it talks about, you know, those that turn the, the world upside down or those that turn the church upside down. You hear that and, and, you, and you see what, what was written right there in Galatians, the very first part of Galatians. And it, it says the Judean churches kept hearing about Paul. Mm. That's powerful. Very much so. Well, folks, that wraps up our first uh, look at Galatians, or Galatians chapter 1. Uh, this is going to be a six-part series next week. We're going to dive right into the scriptures uh, in chapter 2. Uh, chapter 2 is going to have some great things for us to look at and consider as we move on in this study. Uh, we're going to, uh, he's going to talk about 14 years. He's going to talk about an experience with Barnabas and Titus. Uh, he's going to talk about uh, some, some historical matters that arose uh, because of the infiltration uh, that happened. We, he's going to talk about even this situation that happened with Peter where Paul had to call out one of the chief apostles, one of the chief disciples, the rock upon which whom Christ built the church, he wasn't behaving in a way that he should have been. And Paul called him out on that. <laughs> he called him out on that uh, because he wasn't treating people the way uh, they should be treated. He was acting as if Gentiles were second-class citizens. And Paul says, no can do, my friend. So there's going to be some... <laughs> 
there's going to be some great things lying ahead in this study in chapter 2. It's going to be very powerful. So we hope you join us next week. For the Cowboy Apologists, this is Brian Chilton saying God bless. And we'll see you back the next time we step into the arena of ideas. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The views expressed on this podcast may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. This program is protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. If you enjoyed this podcast, then be sure to subscribe and leave a positive review. Also tell a friend. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas.